0: Good morning. It's Tuesday, November 10th. I'm Duarte Giraldino.
1: And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them.
0: Even as President-elect Joe Biden begins his transition planning, President Donald Trump continues to contest the results. Let's be clear at the outset, there's no evidence of voter fraud. So far, Joe Biden has won in several battleground states by larger margins than President Trump did in 2016. Even the secretaries of state have said, this election was run fairly and most of them are Republican.
1: But President Trump is doubling down. Yesterday, the Department of Justice announced it would allow federal prosecutors to investigate cases of election fraud. This upends a long-standing policy that distances the DOJ from election investigations until all votes are in and certified.
0: On Monday, Senator Mitch McConnell was on the Senate floor congratulating his party on exceeding expectations in both chambers of Congress. He was also supporting President Trump's argument that Joe Biden's win on those very same ballots is open to legal challenge.
1: President Trump is 100% within his rights to look into allegations of irregularities and weigh his legal options.
0: The Washington Post says those legal challenges are thin and unlikely to succeed.
1: So why are so many Republicans lining up to support the president even though he lost the election? Politico says there just isn't any space in the party to go against the president's will. And they point to an upcoming Senate fight in Georgia as an example. Prominent Republicans are already headed to the state to raise their profiles. People like Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, Florida Senator Rick Scott, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. And more people are offering their support from afar, like former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. All of these Republican politicians are seen as eyeing a presidential run in 2024.
0: But Politico points out none of these politicians can rise in the party without appealing directly to Trump's supporters. One GOP strategist calls these voters, quote, the ascendant blue collar wing of the GOP. Now, given how widely popular Trump is, he won more than 70 million votes. Any future Republican leader or presidential candidate needs Trump on their side.
1: Just case in point, despite the fact that there is no evidence of electoral foul play, Donald Trump Jr. went on Twitter to call out this group of prominent Republicans for not defending his father's claims that the election was somehow stolen. Politico called the tweet a warning shot, and it worked. Within minutes, Cotton, Hawley, and Haley responded with their own tweets defending the president.
0: For better or worse, these Republicans are vying for power in a party that's been remade in Trump's image. The president was able to rake in millions of dollars that revolutionized the party's data and digital ground games. Republican strategists who talk to Politico say Trump has changed the political DNA of the party for the foreseeable future.
1: If you need any more proof that Georgia is considered a political battleground on the national stage right now, just look at how Democrats are fighting to turn those Senate seats blue. And a lot of the credit there lies with Stacey Abrams.
0: She raised more than $6 million for these races and literally wrote a blueprint for how the state could deliver Democratic wins in 2020. Until recently... This seemed almost impossible in Georgia. It's a reliably conservative state and has been for at least a generation. It hasn't voted for a Democratic president since 1992.
1: And yet, Abram says the state has the perfect ingredients for a flip, a growing Latino population and newly engaged Black voters. We began early on saying that this is not about Black and white. This is about Pulling together coalitions of people of color, of the poor, of the disadvantaged, of the marginalized, and being consistent with our engagement. Not waiting for an election to meet them, and certainly not waiting till the end of an election to acknowledge their value. Abrams ran for governor in 2018. She narrowly lost that race, and she blamed the results on voter suppression efforts in the state. A disproportionate number of Black voters were purged from the rolls ahead of the midterm elections by her opponent, then Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp. She spent the last two years mobilizing this group of voters, bringing them into the Democratic Party and urging the DNC to invest in the state and to recognize that it could, in fact, turn blue. CNN notes her team wrote a 16-page game plan for how to achieve victory in Georgia for Democrats, highlighting that demographics in the state are changing and Georgia should not be ignored.
0: And it looks like, at least from early results from the 2020 election, she was right. According to The Guardian, organizations founded by Abrams, which have been active in reaching out to Georgians since 2014, are credited with registering 800,000 new voters in the state. Here's some perspective on voter turnout. From 2016 to 2020, 1 million more people cast ballots. Democratic stars like Susan Rice and Van Jones have said the party needs to show Abrams, quote, gratitude and respect, and that she deserves much of the credit for Biden's strong performance in Georgia.
1: The U.S. Supreme Court is hearing another Republican challenge to the Affordable Care Act today. This is the third major challenge to the health care law that protects people with pre-existing conditions and covers 20 million Americans. But this time, things are different. The bench now has a 6-3 conservative majority.
0: The Justice Department and a group of Republican-run states are behind this challenge. As Vox explains... At the core of this case is a requirement that all Americans buy health insurance or, as it was originally written, pay a fine in the form of taxes. This is known as the individual mandate. In the first legal challenge back in 2012, the Supreme Court upheld the mandate saying Congress has the right to impose taxes. In this case, as a consequence for failing to buy insurance. Therefore, the law was seen as constitutional.
1: Now, fast forward to 2017, Republicans wanted to repeal the law entirely, but they didn't have the votes. So instead, they reduced the individual mandate tax penalty to zero as part of the GOP's sweeping tax bill, which means the individual mandate still exists. It still says Americans must have some form of insurance, but it's toothless now. There are no taxes, no penalties if you don't comply.
0: The fact that it's toothless is a critical point, Shamita, because in the case going to the court today, Republicans are arguing the mandate is unconstitutional because it carries no tax penalty. Remember, originally, the Supreme Court said the mandate was constitutional because it was a form of tax. Now that it's no longer a tax, Republicans say the mandate is not legal. Again, here's the Republican argument. Congress does not have the authority to pass this kind of mandate, and therefore, the entire law must be struck down.
1: Politico breaks down where the justices might stand on this case. Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas ruled against the Affordable Care Act in the two previous major challenges, and they're expected to do the same again. Chief Justice John Roberts has upheld the law twice before, but in 2012, it was on the basis of the individual mandate being a tax.
0: Let's look at Trump's court appointees. Justice Neil Gorsuch has said he's uncomfortable with the idea of editing out just part of a law while keeping the rest intact. And according to Politico, Justice Brett Kavanaugh is viewed as a swing vote. And Amy Coney Barrett, the newest justice, said in her confirmation hearing, she's not, quote, hostile to the health law.
1: Finally, Pfizer announced yesterday it may have a COVID-19 vaccine that's 90% effective. But after all the science and clinical trials and data collection, it might come down to one thing. Does America have enough freezers?
0: And we're not talking about that deep freezer that you have where you keep your cheap chicken. No, (laughs) the vaccine needs to be stored in a freezer that can reach at least negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Doctors' offices and hospitals and our houses don't have these types of freezers. So now, alongside the race to develop a vaccine, there's also a race to create freezer farms, places that can hold tens of thousands of vaccines at the right temperatures that are strategically placed throughout the country for easy distribution.
1: And once the vaccine leaves the freezer farm, it'll need to be distributed in a truck that can maintain that cold temperature. And then it has to be used within a day or two in order to stay effective. ABC News interviewed vaccine specialists who said it'll be a big challenge here in the U.S. But just think about getting a vaccine to every small town in Africa, in Asia, and imagine keeping it at negative 94 degrees along the way.
0: You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app.
1: We'll talk with you again tomorrow.